Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Guys, come on now. Let's give thanks, right? I mean, it has been beautiful. Uh, we have, Carol and I went out uh, hiking yesterday. I just went out in nature by the water. It was amazing. And now we get the beautiful skies this morning and a bit of rain. But hey, it's all good. Every day is good. And I'm so glad that you're here today as we kick off this series, both online and here in this place. You see, I may not know you all personally. I may not know your life story. I don't know, for example, where you are right now in your life. If this is a good season for you, a challenging season for you, I don't know your hopes. I don't know your aspirations. I don't know a lot of things about you, but I do know one thing we all have in common is that we all want to live for more. We all want our lives to count for something. And so as the days turn into weeks, the weeks into months, and the months into years, we want the sum total of our lives to really matter. And even though this is true of all of us, what is also true is that when it comes to living for more, we tend to define more differently. Think about that. I mean, you don't even have to ask somebody for the definition. All you need to do is look at, the, at their life and what they're dedicated to and their daily actions, and they will tell you what more means for them. I mean, for some, it's more health, and that's why they work out every single day and watch carefully what they eat. For others, it's more fun, and that's why they're always focused on their next vacation, trying to fill their lives with sporting events, movies, and recreation. For others, it's more stuff. And that's why they buy the latest whatever and then post a picture of it on Facebook or Instagram with them standing next to it. And then for others, it's more advancement. And that's why they work long hours and always have a reason for why they need to work more. So it's not that we need more. We need the right kind of more. The Bible says this, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And the way that appears to be right in our culture is to compare our lives with the lives of others. And and it really shapes us and shapes our lives and what we're about. And when we do this, well, it can lead us to, you know, pursuing more of the wrong things. Even sometimes more of the right things mixed with some wrong things. But in the end, we'll still have lives that are unfulfilled. And so the question I want to ask us as we kick off this series here today is this. What kind of more is truly beneficial, and how can we pursue more of it? Well, the Christians in the early church, they grapple with these questions as well. In fact, for them, their questions ran, I think, a bit deeper uh, for them than for us. Because for us, if we're honest, our week is completely messed up if our air conditioning goes out. Right? Oh, man, that's all we can talk about. For them, they struggle to get by every single day. And yet, what we see clearly in Scripture is how they focus on the right kind of more, and in doing so, 
What happened was that God used them to transform the entire world. So they, they exhibited more love, more devotion, more compassion, more hope, more Jesus. And so I suggest that for us to pursue the right kind of more, we take our cue from them. You see, the key that unlocked the door to their lives of significance is found in the very first words of Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. Someone once said it this way. People can be divided into three categories. Those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who wonder, what happened? <laughs> right? I mean, so what we see here is that the Christians in Acts 2, they weren't just sitting in the coffee shop talking with others about how they wanted to live lives of significance. They weren't sitting in the chair, you know, at the hair salon telling the stylist about the good old days. These people were tenacious. They were devoted. It means one's commitment to a pursuit through consistency and loyalty. So living for more requires less aspiration and more perspiration. It doesn't give up easily. It doesn't go after one thing today and then something else different tomorrow. It's focused. And that means it's not driven by emotions, but by devotion to the right things. Let's face it. Here in America, we have long misunderstood what living for more really means. I mean, while we're known for, you know, throughout the world for having more than anyone else, traveling to more places than anyone else, and embracing more individuality than anyone else. A recent study revealed that Americans are the unhappiest they have been in over 50 years. The University of Chicago study. So it's clear then that in our pursuit of more, we've ended up with much less, a whole lot less. And I say this because I think we've been driven by our emotions, not by our devotion to the right thing. So, in our pursuit of living for more then, let's examine what the early Christians were actually devoted to. The Bible says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. So in order to live for more, these early Christians devoted themselves, we're going to see, to several different things. But the first two on the list would be the apostles' teaching and fellowship. They believed that by devoting themselves to these two pursuits simultaneously, they would more deeply experience God. And they did. They made his name known throughout the world. Think about this. These Christians didn't even have copies of the New Testament yet. They didn't exist. All they had were copies of the Old Testament. And so they relied upon the apostles who told them about Jesus, reminded them of his teachings, and then showed them how Jesus Christ was a fulfillment of everything the Old Testament was pointing forward to. And then they even performed miracles, much like Jesus, in order to show them and remind them that what Jesus was saying and what they were believing was true. Bottom line, the church back then accepted no substitute for what the apostles taught them, because it was the apostles who would walk with Jesus. They had learned from Jesus, and they had seen Jesus resurrected from the dead. In fact, many of the words we now read in Scripture, they first heard from the apostles' own lips. Think about that. As a result, they experienced God in radical ways as they were changed radically by God's word. See, they were learning what we keep learning, 
that the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So what we see clearly then from Scripture is that when these early Christians heard the apostles' teachings, they did more than just take good notes during the sermons. Their lives became the sermon. Think about that. Their words and actions, they preached to their generation of the life-changing, life-altering power of the gospel at work in them and through them. Since they had experienced God, they soon embodied what Jesus so passionately described for them before he went to the cross for them. He said, you are the salt of the earth. Salt brings healing, restoration. You are the light of the world, declaring God's truth. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And while salt and light were certainly known among them, and they were known as individuals for bringing salt and light, they were even more known throughout the culture for being salt and light together by means of their fellowship. The word fellowship is koinonia. It means a deep partnership, a deep sharing, a deep communion. I think the problem for us is when it comes to fellowship, we kind of think it means just kind of hanging out together for a couple minutes. It's much more than that. Here's the thing. We're not a movie club. We're not an exercise group. We're not a cooking club. We're not even a book club. True fellowship requires much more than that. So what are we? What are we? I would say it this way. We are a community of people who gather around God's word, who are changed by God's word, who embrace life together and declare Jesus Christ to everyone. That's who we are. This means we're not a building. We are the church on the move. On the move. And think about this. The early Christians knew that the fellowship they enjoyed, it was costly, not convenient. Since Christ had devoted himself to them, they were devoted to him through their fellowship with God. Made possible through Christ's shed blood on the cross. They were devoted to fellowship with one another. Made possible through the Holy Spirit in and through them, unifying them. And they were devoted to fellowship with the truth. Made possible through applying his word. You see, for them, teaching and fellowship, they went hand in hand. They were like ebony and ivory on a piano keyboard. Teaching and fellowship played in harmony with one another so they could experience God more deeply together. Well, that was them. How about us? When you take a look at how we live and our culture around us, I think we we tend to segment our lives. We do. We like to put work in a box. We like to put friends over in this box over here. We like to put family in a box and sports in a box and Jesus in a box and church in a box. And in so doing, we easily forget that the core of Christian community is costly love. The core of Christian community is costly love. Jesus said it this way, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if, if you love one another. So fellowship then is when your spouse dies and you find yourself surrounded by love and support. Fellowship is when you're invited to someone's home even though there's piles of laundry on the floor and dishes piled up in the sink. Fellowship is being embraced by another even though you just messed up big time. 
Fellowship is feeling like you're home with family when you just met these Christians for the very first time. Fellowship is driven by godly love, sacrificial love. So let me ask you, when we gather together, when we worship together each weekend, how could you be more devoted to applying what you learn each Sunday? How could your life be the sermon? And how could you be more devoted to pursuing deeper relationships with believers right here in this church? Friends, I'm calling us, the Bible is calling us to really forsake the segmented life and pursue a devoted life. A life where we experience God more deeply together so we might more fully grow together. Grow together. Scripture tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, breaking of bread, this was something that you would do back then in a smaller group, a smaller setting, most often in your homes. It was a very important, deep thing that you did. In fact, the breaking of bread signified different things at different times. For example, the breaking of bread symbolized extending friendship towards another. And you know this already. I mean, when you have guests into your home, there's a time when you often will break bread with them. You'll share a meal with them. And in so doing, you're really communicating to them that they are a friend of yours, that you accept them, that you love them. So it's kind of like a small group gathering. And this is why in the Gospels we see Jesus eating a lot. All over the place. In fact, I'm not sure how he handled his weight management with all the food he was eating. But we see him breaking bread with all kinds of people wherever he went. For example, a Pharisee invited Jesus to break bread with him in Luke chapter 7. Tax collectors broke bread with Jesus in Mark chapter 2. Also in Mark 2, Jesus broke bread with sinners, the Bible says. Lazarus broke bread with Jesus in John chapter 12. And Jesus broke bread with his disciples on numerous occasions. So breaking bread meant extending friendship with one another. But it also symbolized something else. Extending forgiveness towards another. Forgiveness. You see, when wrong had been done and forgiveness had been requested, the breaking of bread signified the extending of forgiveness towards the wrongdoer with, with the goal of restoration. Friends, think about this. This is one reason why bread and forgiveness are mentioned right next door to each other when Jesus taught us how to pray the Lord's Prayer. You ever caught that? Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Bread and forgiveness. And that's why when referring to, to the, the, the forgiveness that Jesus would grant us before going to the cross, the Bible says, and he took bread, gave it, and what did he do? He broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So in this way, then, the breaking of bread also symbolized remembering Christ's forgiveness for us. It's communion. So whenever bread, again, was broken in the first century, it was done in a small group gathering many times in a person's home. It was deeply meaningful and emotional. And, and, and for all the people, it was there again. It was done in order to say, I love you. I forgive you. You are with me. We are community. We are one in Jesus Christ. And when they gathered, when they broke bread together, well, they would always pray. Prayers 
would be heard. Prayers of thanks for the friends and family present. Prayers of strength in order to extend the forgiveness needed. Because after all, many times we don't want to forgive on our own. Lord, help us, right? Prayers of remembrance for what Christ has so powerfully accomplished. And prayers for healing to flow from the Father's almighty hand. I'm sure some of you have heard the phrase, a marriage that prays together stays together. Well, the church that prays together stays together. It's why here at MCC we offer the prayer wall on Realm, where you can post your prayers and, and fellow believers can pray for you all across this city during the week. It's why we offer prayer partners after the services right down front. So if you want to pray with somebody or give God thanks for something, you can pray with them right up front as people leave. It's why we offer prayers in our services. We just witnessed that a few minutes ago. But I want you to imagine this. Imagine this. That when the service is over, we would walk out in the atrium every single weekend. We would enjoy our time talking and fellowshipping with one another. And then as a natural result of what we just heard someone say, we would stop right there in the atrium and you know, say, you know what, let's stop and let's pray about that. That we would see people not just talking and, and having coffee, we'd see people praying together. This is the devoted life. Gene Getz, a pastor, he's an amazing man, says the hallmark of Western civilization has been rugged individualism. Because of our philosophy of life, we are used to the personal pronouns I and my and me. We've not been taught to think in terms of we and our and us. Consequently, we individualize many references to corporate experience in the New Testament, thus emphasizing personal prayer. The facts are that more is said in the book of Acts and the epistles about corporate prayer, corporate learning of biblical truth, corporate evangelism, and corporate maturity and growth than about the personal aspects of these Christian disciplines. Don't misunderstand. Both are intricately related. But the personal dimensions of Christianity are difficult to maintain and practice consistently unless they grow out of a proper corporate experience on a regular basis. So given this, how could you be more devoted to breaking bread with others right in your own home? Breaking bread with others in a small group. How could you be more devoted to breaking the bread of forgiveness with someone in your life you're struggling with? And how could you engage in prayer with others? That's what we're called to. The Bible then tells us that as a result of experiencing God and growing together, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. So then as a result of their devotion, they not only experienced God work among them in a variety of miraculous ways, they extended the bread of fellowship with and towards one another to an even greater level. What did they do? They fully shared the gifts that God had given them through radical generosity. Think about it this way. They loosened their grip on their stuff and they opened their hands so that others could receive. That kind of devotion is possible when you and I discover our purpose. The Apostle Paul told us, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I don't know if you thought about that before. The Bible is saying before you were ever born, 
Before you ever realized it, God equipped you with gifts and he's made you ready to serve and impact the lives of others. He's given this to you so that you can impact others for his name. So living on purpose is God's idea, but it's also your choice. You can choose to live for yourself or you can choose to live for more. You see, those who want to live for more, they join with the psalmist who say, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. And friends, that's why the first century Christians, they didn't live with a what's in it for me mindset. They live with a mindset that says, what's within me that I can share with others mindset. It's radically different. And this was displayed by the fruit of their monetary gifts and through the fruit of their spiritual gifts. For Paul wrote it this way. He says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. He's describing people giving their gifts to one another and impacting others out of their love and out of their devotion. I think the struggle that we're having among Christianity throughout our country now Due to the pandemics, we've become so used to being by ourselves that we have a hard time living this out. It was hard to live out before, even harder now. In fact, studies are showing that across our country, most Christians, many Christians at least, believe that they're doing pretty well if, if they watch online sporadically, maybe come once a month or once every six weeks to church. Friends, this is not the devoted life that Christ calls us to. Let's live the devoted life. You see, these Christians were devoted to sharing what they had with everyone else. Why? Think about this. Because they truly believed that everything they had belonged to God and that they should give it away at God's prompting. That included their food, their time, their love, their money, and their spiritual gifts. Since they had discovered their purpose, they lived on purpose. Will you? Ed McEwen, our guest services coordinator, he re recently wrote me these words. I love this. He said, when I was a youth pastor, there was a college student in our church who had a prized guitar. It was prized because the quality and tone were extraordinary. Another guitarist wanted to buy it, but he wouldn't part with it. During that time, my guitar was stolen from my office. It was a hard blow for me because I used that guitar several times per week at youth gatherings. As I was leaving my office one afternoon, the college student with the prize guitar met up with me and said, hey, I heard about your stolen guitar, so I brought you this one. It's yours now. I said, I, ca I can't take your guitar. I know how much you love it. It's one of your prized possessions. He said, what you may not know is that this isn't my guitar. It's the Lord's guitar. And the Lord now wants it to pass from me to you. I was stunned and continued to protest, but my friend simply said, I don't think you get it. This is the Lord's guitar, so I'm going to set it down here and walk away because he wants you to have it. 
he did set it down and walk away, and he never looked back. God used that guitar to assist in leading innumerable high school and college students to Christ. By the way, I still have a Lord's guitar 45 years later. How could you be more devoted to God by learning about your spiritual gifts? How could you show more devotion by sharing what you have with others? As a result of their ongoing devotion, something else, friends, transpired that doesn't always happen naturally, but will overflow like a fountain when God works in our lives spiritually. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about living the kind of devoted life that calls me to look beyond myself so that for the sake of Jesus Christ, I can make an impact. Make an impact. And again, the Bible tells us that we impact others for his name through our words and through our deeds. We certainly see this in the life of the early church. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I want you to notice the word anyone. The early church, you see, they didn't put limitations, you know, in front of others saying, you know what, you need to meet this high moral bar, and if you do, well, then we'll help you. When they saw someone hurting... They help to meet that need. As Paul reminded us, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. For instance, God has given us different gifts. We need to be on the lookout for ways to use them. Now, I'll be honest, sometimes when we do that, it's going to work out. And sometimes... It's not. The other day, this is just this past week, I'm just walking. I'm going down one street after another. And I came down this street and suddenly saw all the construction crews. I mean, the streets had been shut down in this neighborhood. And so, you know, cars were parking in various spots and people were walking to their homes. And so I saw this guy actually came up right beside him. He had his cane And he had gone shopping, grocery shopping, and he had all these bags of groceries he's trying to carry with his left arm. And so he's doing this, and he's stumbling. I said, well, you live in this neighborhood? He says, yeah, I live down the street to the left. I said, well, I I could help carry your groceries for you. He looked at me and says, I could do this all by myself. (laughs) All right. All right. So it doesn't always mean it's going to work. I remember another time, though, I went to this doctor. I hadn't been there before, and so I parked my car. It was in front of this big building, and I walked in the front entrance. You know, I had to take the elevator up to the third floor. I saw the doctor. I came back down, and when I got off the elevator, I'd never been there before, so I took a left instead of a right. And so when I walked out the back side of the building, which looked like the front, because that had a huge parking lot as well, I'm walking around the parking lot looking for my car that I can't find. And it was then that I saw this guy, and he was sitting on the curb. You know, he's just sitting there. And, and at first, it, 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 I thought, well, he, he must just be enjoying the day. I don't know why he's sitting there. I, I just I noticed him, and, and I just kept looking for my car. And then I looked at him again, and I thought, that guy's legs are as tall as I am. I mean, this guy was like sky high tall. So his legs were like this as he's trying to sit there. I thought, well, that doesn't look comfortable. And so I walked up to him and I said, well, how you doing? 
He says, I'm not doing well at all. He says, I fell in the parking lot. I crawled over to here. I can't get up. He says, my knees are completely shot from all the years I played in the NBA. He says, well, I can help you out. He says, would you? And I'll tell you what, I mean, not to put anything on myself, but it was very difficult to get a man that tall up off the ground, and he's got bad knees, so he, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there pulling him behind him. I'm pushing him up, right? And I finally got him to standing position, and it was clear he wasn't going to make it to his car by himself. So I put my arm around him, and we walked over to his car. I helped him in his car. He looked at me and says, I want to thank you so much. And I just stood there as he walked away. About 15 minutes later, I found my car. I realized it was on the other side of the building. Um, but I'm just saying, you know what? We need to live with eyes wide open. Are you? Think about how God could use you. See, when we serve in the name of Jesus, we impact others for the name of Jesus. That's why we hold our second Saturday serve events. We give the entire church an opportunity to impact others, many people who may not even know about Christ or who may be following Christ. It's what the early church did. It's what we do as well. And we do that monthly, but we're actually, actually called to do it daily. And not out of duty, but out of devotion. Every day, God could use you if you just slow down a little bit, right? And live with eyes wide open, looking for the people around you and the needs that might be there. And you can minister to them in the name of Jesus. One man put it this way. He says, the place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's hunger meet. People are hungry spiritually, emotionally, physically. Think about how God could use you. The devoted life is a daily life of faith, love, and service. Let me ask you, how could you be more devoted to serving right where God has placed you? How could you be more devoted to serving alongside your brothers and sisters right here at this church? Because the Bible says they devoted themselves. So what would that kind of devotion look like for you? Where does God want to use you? What gifts has he given you? And then just imagine how God could be glorified and how you could use your life and your gifts, the gifts he's given you, to impact others for the glory of God. Of God. Friends, when we live the devoted life, we're going to experience God. We're going to grow together. We're going to discover our purpose and we're going to make an impact. In fact, just to make sure that we didn't miss the, the outcome of these four steps, Luke summarizes the whole thing at the end of Acts 2 once again. He says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Why to experience God? They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts as they grew together. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Why? Because they were using their gifts. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved because they were making an impact. For the name of Jesus Christ. It requires devotion. How could God use you? When you walked in here, you were given a next steps booklet. Did you get that when you walked in? I want to encourage you, when you get home... Like, actually read this from cover to cover, because it goes through a lot of what I just talked about here. And I want you to know that this is what we are about. This is the call that God has placed on us as a church. 
Read the Bible verses there. You know, take a look. I mean, you can actually open up your camera and your phone, right, and be directly linked to certain pages on our website that can help get you involved. But read through this, and then you know what? Share that booklet with somebody else this week. Maybe give it away, because you can always get another. And invite them to be part of what God is doing here. But I also want to call your attention to the tables you came across when you entered the atrium. These are our next steps tables. And you're going to see those words, experiencing God, grow together, discover your purpose, make an impact. And you know what? Take time, please. Don't just go out to your car or just have a conversation with somebody. Ask God right now, how do you want to use me? And then go out there and ask questions. Maybe it won't be the first table. You go, you know, that's not really my thing. Maybe it's the next table. But really investigate how God could use you to really be used here in the church and across our city, maybe across the world. This is the call that God has placed on us all. We want to be used by him for his glory. You are light. You are salt. God calls us and equips us to make a difference. Friends, will you stand with me right now? Jesus, I'm going to leave you these words that Jesus gave us. And we're giving you a little extra time here this morning so you can have time in the atrium to, to find out more, investigate, ask some questions, get involved. But I want to leave you with these words that Jesus gave me, they gave, he gave you. And this is how he's called us to live. He simply said this in Matthew 5, 16. Brothers, sisters, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So I say with the light that Jesus has given you, go spread it to others for his name. Explore what's out there, be salt, be light, and then come back together next weekend as we dive even deeper. I love you. I love you all. It's an honor to serve here. Let me pray with you. Dear Father, I thank you for each person that's here. Those who are online right now, I thank you for them. And Lord, you are working in each one of our lives differently, and you want to work through our lives radically. So Lord, help us to get out of the way. Lord, help us to just humbly submit to what you have called us to. Lord, that we would truly love others as we love you. And Lord, that you would use us in such wonderful ways, new ways, radical ways to spread the gospel. Right at work, in our neighborhoods, where you're planting us, at the gas station, and in this church. Lord, this is our prayer because this is the call you placed on us. And Lord, for whatever outcome happens today as a result of just people asking questions in the atrium, may you receive all the glory. Not to us, but to your name be the glory, the praise, and the honor for you alone, our Lord. We love you. We desire to serve you and represent you wherever we go. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. And all God's people said, amen. Enjoy the day. See you next weekend. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.